everyone and welcome to the Supply Chain Podcast. Happy New Year. We hope you're all keeping safe and doing well. In this episode, we actually have a special host, Oliver Freeman, the senior editor of our online magazine, Supply Chain Digital. Oliver speaks to Niall Strahan, head of product strategy at Pelion. Pelion was originally founded as an incubation unit within ARM, the world's leading designer of key technologies at the heart of computing. Pelion is now forging its own path in the Internet of Things revolution under the banner of ARM. Now it discusses with Oliver the relationship between digital transformation and the supply chain. We hope you enjoy the episode. Stay tuned for more fascinating insights. Uh, Niall, I'd like to start by asking about you. Um, you're currently the Director of Product at Pelion Connectivity Management. What was your career journey to this point? Where did it start and, and how did you get here? Yeah, so I, a long time ago, did a, a degree in computer science in, uh, in Glasgow. And uh, it's a good degree, interesting. I came out and started a job in a startup called Stream, uh, literally the day after graduation. It was employee number two or three, and I kind of wanted to go into a smaller org because I think you can learn a lot more from being able to dive into loads of different issues. I ended up working there for, I think, uh, about 10, 11 years. Uh, we built up into sort of 40, 50 strong organization. Um, uh, you know, really good experience learning from, you know, well, from software engineering from where I started to product management, to support, to marketing, to everything. And then Arm acquired that company uh, in 2018. And since then, I've been leading product management on the connectivity side. That was our, our core product within Stream was, you know, to provide connectivity for the Internet of Things. And after the acquisition, so product management, and recently I'm now moving more into a product strategy role that spans both uh, connectivity and device management. So looking a bit further than the short term um, product management six months, but more thinking about what do we need to do over the next 12, 18, five years sort of thing. So what, how long ago was that, sorry? Oh, I couldn't tell you, Two, 14, 14 years ago, something like that, yeah. yeah. So, it was a, so it was a tech startup, well, kind of at the start of the boom, really. Yeah, well, with, within the Machine to Machine, which it was called then, started very early on. I still remember the day when we had our first customer activate more and add more than 100 things to our platform. And as it's grown over the, the last... 15, 16 years or so, the, um, you know, we're getting customers who are doing 10, 15, 20,000 devices a day. And, uh, you know, so the boom really has started and we were a startup positioned in quite a niche area of the market at the time. And as IoT grew, it really proved that, you know, our product value and what we were looking to achieve is critical to most IoT deployments. So obviously we focused on IoT. Did you touch on IoT? Has that became a leading thing or not? Yeah, for sure it has in the, you know, in this, in the last few years, I think when you look at the OT side of the business, our, a lot of our product is about integration. So it's more about solving, uh, solving problems and helping our customers you know, de deploy devices to the edge, understand how they're behaving and then integrate the data that they're generating into their you know, existing platforms, existing processes into their network centers, but then also into any of their uh, operational technologies as well. 
And that's really all about the, the change in IoT is that it's very much moving from this conceptual thing into becoming a, a technology that is integrated into uh, just wider business processes. You know, I think you look at the questions CIOs or CISOs or CTOs are, are asking most innovation. They're looking at saying, well, how do I better understand behaviors of supply chain, you know, devices out there, what they're doing and how do I get that data integrated into their uh, just operational capabilities. So it becomes a day-to-day part of their products. For sure, for sure. So obviously you've already touched on the company a little bit, but mm-hmm. if we move strictly <clears throat> into the company rather than your role. Yep. Can you give us an overview of Pelion and mm-hmm. the services that it provides that are most prevalent on the market today? So Pelion is a connected device platform. And it's a, it's a recent um, spin out of ARM Holdings where we're, uh, we used to have the Pelion IoT platform is what it's called. So now we're actually coming and standing alone as our own brand, our own product story, uh, and not being under that umbrella of ARM where we had some of the traditional uh, legacy business messaging and marketing that would uh, make it hard to get our value truly understand by our, our customers. So coming out and standing alone, we provide a connected device platform that has very specific um, uh, discrete products. One is connectivity that, you know, about deploying things, connecting them to the network, providing connectivity from cellular operators. We have a, a device management layer, which is all about helping people manufacture, build their own devices, understand the security, the firmware, the software that's running on the devices. And that's a, an excellent product that can run on you know, very, very, very power constrained small devices that, you know, RFID systems that can be on pallets or it can be a very, very feature rich system that can run on an edge gateway that is processing loads of data in private networks. And that edge capability is also where we're focusing on, um, you know, that larger story where we have private networks that are inside factories, inside, um, you know, things like delivery depots that are having edge, edge networks that are needed to have the data processed. And then can, the customers can manage everything more securely and more remotely in that perspective. So, I mean, our value really is simplifying the, the layer between the physical hardware and the application that is trying to integrate in. So we provide the tools in the middle to help people deploy connect and manage the devices in their life cycle mm-hmm. uh, so they can really focus on the data that's getting to the application side of things and they can just they don't have to worry about the you know the security or the costs or, or what these devices are doing because uh, in theory it's they have all the tools there to manage it when they need to and we're providing you know analytics on how these devices are behaving providing them good insights onto cost controls and everything around that awesome Awesome. When you say that you uh, essentially have broken away from ARM a little bit as, yeah. as an individual segment, mm-hmm. do you still have to sort of go through any of their rules or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, we're we're part of a group comp- group of companies under the ARM Holdings banner. So there's obviously the same legal protections that you'd want to have on. So we can't decide that we want to sell into Iran, you know, or something like that. So we still have to obviously be part of the group company. However, it does allow us that we are uh, far more controlled and more agile to win business. So the one thing with 
the Internet of Things, it's a very fast-paced, uh, moving market. You know, it changes very rapidly. There's always new, new features people want, new things that have to be built, new capabilities, or even then into the, the regulation space where more things are being deployed. Governments are more concerned about data, privacy, and what's happening in their own um, their own boundaries. So the, the ability to move quicker to react to those changes is critical. And that's one of the key, key reasons where we're looking at spinning out to Pelion, because we can take some of the take some of the bumper lanes off of the of the of the bowling alley, essentially, you know? Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, this one might be a simple one, or it could be a convoluted one. But yeah. what puts Hellion ahead of its competition? So I think we have we talk those discrete products that we talk around. I mean, I go, they they all have their their features that put them to having unique value in the market. You know, we have we have specific components within connectivity and device that we're very strong on that we can walk out and say our products are better than our competitors. But I think every if you speak to any organization, they'll say that. You know, they'll say our our features are differentiate us here and. But our, our real capability is our position in the market um, coming from our heritage of being part of ARM. So yeah. ARM's core background, you know, that silicon IP space, helping people manufacture devices, they have a very strong position in that market. All of our functionality and our capabilities uh, sort of inherit that um, the expertise essentially from, from our, our legacy of our business. And that gives us a unique position that allows us to work with almost any device that our customers want to manufacture, ultra-constrained, feature-rich. But then because we have all these capabilities that don't touch the physical hardware or the application stack, we can work with a real ecosystem of um, anybody, you know, so different hardware manufacturers or different systems integrators or different application providers because it does take an ecosystem of people to manufacture devices, get things deployed. You know, it's, it's very rare that you see one vendor actually provide, you know, the, the capabilities that we do in a one, one shop, basically one shop, one stop shop. And that allows us to give uh, our customers a real benefit of cost. It allows them to have a single vendor to manage with their connected devices. But it also allows them to understand that we have single security processes. You know, we have, the, when we talk about security, it's, uh, it's embedded into all of our product capabilities. You know, it's not something that a customer has to pay extra for, but they can really trust that our connectivity and our devices uh, products are working in sync and having a single security profile for things that are deployed. So if you look at, you know, the supply chain system, if you talk about something like pallet tracking or container tracking where devices are in their millions uh, communicating back to the operational side of the business, you know, security has, uh, has to be baked in from every level because you don't know where those devices are going. You don't know who can tamper with them. You, you need to be able to trust the data that they're sending as well. And if you're managing that from loads of different vendors, uh, it can be quite complex and quite costly. And distilling that down into our value proposition that it's, it's just us and that we, we can be your single partner for this is, uh, it puts us ahead of our competitors as an organization. For sure, for sure. Well, you, yeah, you've really just touched on my next question there on, on what do you guys enable for supply chain organizations and their operational efficiencies? Is there anything like, let's say, a flagship technology or provision that you bring to the market for operational efficiency in supply chain? Yeah, I mean, because where we where we sit in the market, our customers, our partners who are moving into 
specific verticals and supply chain will are really obviously focusing about data. You know, they want to get the data from the things that are out there. And, you know, they want to have that reassurance that the goods are where they, they're supposed to be. You know, they're supposed to be, if they're at rest or in motion, that they understand the location side of it. They want to be able to take action when things are happening within locations. So, you know, if if it is a true multi-region, global, or even multi-country deployment, they want to understand that the data these things are generating may stay in the right regions, uh, or they have all that, um, you know, if, if it moves from Europe into somewhere, you know, into Russia, does it need to comply with GDPR or the Russian data law? You know, the ability to actually understand that. So giving that level of visibility, but also having that early indication of issues that may be there. So something when you look at supply chain is that you, you're thinking about issues at scale, at volume. So you're thinking, I'm going to deploy a lot of things to manage my supply chain. And if you are investing in building um, your own devices and building your own intellectual property around this, you want to make sure that if something's going to go wrong, you understand what's happening so that if something does go wrong on 5% of your devices, you can take action before it affects the other 95%. So building a lot of automation and a lot of visibility of device performance uh, is really key in that. If you look at Im improving the operational efficiencies of customers is better understanding the data, but looking at how that can be brought back into the uh, supply chain is, is costs. You know, the, these, these technologies enable the management of supply chain at lower cost manage you know with covid and things that you know we can talk about lowering um human contact through technology things like this well that's actually going to be my next question has covid affected your ability to provide these efficiencies so or has it actually increased it in some ways yes we um yes and no we have if we look at our discrete products with connectivity it's incredibly horizontal as a, a capability across verticals you know we provide it for a smart metering system but then also for you know connected cars or um, looking at providing uh, internet connectivity for um, passenger transport you know when you're on the train you're going down you're using your laptop it's sending over a cellular network that we, we can we provide so very horizontal and it gives us a really good level of analytics across these different verticals and you know how COVID impacted it so nearly you know straight away when it was uh, lockdowns were being enforced across the globe almost every vertical that was built about um, improving consumer life you know just dropped you know completely all the data transit the usage of it you know, like, uh, and that was really interesting you know, because we're sitting there going, well, what's happening? Our CCDV customers, our passenger Wi-Fi advertising customers, all these verticals were really uh, impacted by COVID. But then when we started to see the first sort of three or four months of COVID change, how people are looking at technology and uh, how can this, how can their business bounce back from this? You know, we saw a huge amount of investment in sort of remote access monitoring health and patient monitoring, you know, goods tracking, because it was able to uh, allow people to start to differentiate their products in the market and lower human impact and human uh, touch. And we've also seen a lot of people looking at planning the next generation of their device, you know, which may have been three or four years ago and actually bringing it forwards to now, which is 
adds pressure and the fact that we have to probably hit some of our roadmap and our milestones faster to achieve some of that custom that the next generation products but also that to help our customers understand the landscape of the market at the moment because if they were looking at building a device in three years time the technologies that they may be in, um, implementing on or thinking about may not exist yet you know or, or they're in their very infancy so helping them unpick that look at the landscape and then drive uh, a product that can help them now and that's something that we've seen in the well actually it was pallet tracking is a massive part of the industry we actually saw a lot of people come to us uh, and asset tracking and asset monitoring um you know in the last six months so is actually um that time scale that you mentioned there yeah. and brings me to another question which the, the concept of digital transformation mm-hmm. has been the claim made across most industries but it's mm-hmm. been accelerated by 10 years because of covid mm-hmm. do you think that's the case yeah i do i think um over the next 10 years is very much specific on verticals i think some of the some of it has, has taken a real hit like the manufacturing industry, you know, I think where you're looking at literal people inside factories manufacturing stuff, that uh, that's taken a massive hit and probably has the digital innovation is, is going to slow, not slow down, but be very different. You know, I don't think it's accelerated as, as simple as saying, you know, the delivery networks of Amazon and uh, these large, large operators are like DPD or UPS, you know, they're, they can invest very easily and they can start to expand out because everybody is changing their buyer behaviors. So there's very much verticals that are, you know, pushing, investing and seeing the realities come to it. And then there's a lot of verticals where we're saying, well, how do we still, still an unknown because of the human element of, of their, of, of their business model. For sure. For sure. On that, given that you're probably the man to go to for information about digital, as you're in the startup space in the early days, let's say, a lot of companies still haven't actually gone digital. So yeah. my question is, again, it's a simple but potentially convoluted one. Why digital? Yeah, I think um, you can look at it from a, an operational side of the business as saying, well, there's a lot, you know, why, why would you adopt a, a CRM system for your sales, you know, pipeline tracking compared to using you know, a bit of paper or why would you uh, collate all of your contacts somewhere instead of just storing business cards somewhere? And I think the point is, is it brings operational efficiencies, but consumers are expecting it. People who are you know, working operationally for businesses or anything, they're looking and saying, I expect to be working from home, have all the tools I need to, to do my job. I want to be able to do things remotely. You know, that, that market has changed. From a product perspective, there's a real ability to enhance, you know, products in the supply chain space. And, you know, looking at, we go back to that, but asset tracking, understanding device behavior, but really understanding the, the data that these devices are doing that can allow, allow organizations to make smarter decisions and lower their costs. But in supply chain, you know, if we, you know, inventory management is a massive piece of this. So if you think about, um, you know, Amazon warehouses, they're going to hold more stock than ever because the buying behaviors are shifting towards everyone goes to Amazon first. So you've got to think about, you know, inventory management, granular understanding of stock levels, having robots that are telling everybody how many, you know, paper clips there are in a bucket so they can forecast against their order demand so they can lower their costs and keep their supply chain, you know, way more efficient. And 
the Amazon are obviously the most obvious like tech investors. They're gonna they're gonna automate absolutely everything. But there's so many supply chain markets that haven't done uh, haven't moved into this model. You know, we've seen customers come to us who provide the aluminium trolleys for uh, milk. So it's from farm to shop basically, and they lose hundreds of thousands of pounds of met precious metals because they're stolen all the time. And they're looking at saying, well, how do we track this? How do we understand it? And when you actually start to tell them the benefits of saying, well, if you know where everything is, you can start to forecast where there's devices that are, are not being used aggressively. And you can start to put your sales teams into that market to try and sell into areas that you're not deploying devices. So you can start to really give good benefits of the data. Of course. Um, on data, this is a bit of a digression from our questions. Big data, obviously, we have these huge data marketplaces. Mm -hmm. Is there a big influx of dirty data at the moment, or let's say unclean data? A lot of devices and a lot of things will be sending data that are from maybe devices or applications that have been built five, ten years ago. So they're not as efficient. They're not cleaning the data what they should be. They'll be sending a lot, a lot of data. So big data. Uh, exists because it is almost like the uh, the easy way to do it. Send all of the data to the cloud and then prune that data and get insights out of it. And so there is a lot of devices and a lot of things out there that are just doing that, literally sending lots of data. And that costs money. It means that people are, you know, having to spend more money storing the data, processing it, but then also sending it there. I think when you look at things like edge networks and actually being able to have um, you know, intelligence at the edge that can process it, prune it, understand what these sensors are doing or what the applications are doing, and then send only the critical pieces of information up, that concept of big data will still always be there, but it won't be uh, as terrifyingly huge. It'll be intelligently created. You know? Digital innovation and transformation. Obviously, mm -hmm. Pelion, especially being part of Arms Holdings, they're already ahead of the curve, as it were. They're an industry leader. But what was the strategy and approach to digital transformation within Pelion itself? Yeah, so I think my, my entire career has been around digital transformation and innovation. You know, I've always been looking at where we should be moving in the market. How do we get there? Whether it's about, you know, simply as an operational tooling of, we need better and more automated systems for our network so we don't have to hire 10 people to sit and watch graphs, you know, things like this. And sort of actually saying transformation operationally. From, from a Pelion strategy and approach to this, we are very much involved, uh, investing into our sort of core capabilities because, you know, every conversation we have with our customer is we want to focus on the data. We want you to focus on the devices, but we want to focus on the data. So, how do we look at fixing and helping our customers do that? So you know, almost everyone is now pushing their data into uh, a hyperscaler, you know, an Amazon, an Azure, or an Asia Alibaba cloud or something like this, where they're actually saying we're trusting cloud vendors to do their thing, you know, but we want to trust you to get the data to the cloud efficiently, securely at low cost. So looking and saying, how do we um, simplify device onboarding for that model? So the customers at the moment, if they want to add a new device into that ecosystem, they have to create a device, build a device. They have to connect, create connectivity with the operators, pair them together, 
they then have to install the application on the device. They then have to make sure that the application in the cloud understands this device's identity so that they can securely communicate with each other. And that can be you know, really interesting if you're a bunch of developers with hard things to solve that you want to do, right? And But if you're actually just uh, from an industry who's looking to change their products and, and you know move into this space, you want to be almost taking stuff off the shelf and saying, well, actually, these capabilities work with Azure. I know I can work with this hardware. I can pair it together and start to have more like single click, easy onboarding of devices. So that's our sort of strategic investment as we push towards it. But we also see that, you know, especially in supply chain, is the, the devices that are deployed are incredibly low power. You know, um, they're ultra constrained, typically using... Um, small amounts of processor power, small amounts of uh, battery power to do things because uh, they're out in the field and if they're lost or broken or stolen, they don't want to lose an expensive asset is one thing. And so a lot about how we enable that low power model is uh, is very key for us. You know, we, we work on, you know, small connected consumer products that you don't realize are actually connected and doing stuff and the work to get to that but also maintain all the security that is required is uh, it's a lot of effort, but that's that's where we're sort of focusing. Sure, awesome. Um, which technologies have been most important towards pushing these strategies? So within the connected device space, you know, low power wide area network is kind of critical for our, in, uh, our industry. You know, it's, it's the ability to use a cellular network to have uh, a very low cost, uh, low power device that we just discussed, be able to connect and use a public network. So it's an excellent technology, but the market is very fragmented <clears throat> around these capabilities. So, you know, the, there are multiple competing technologies, you know, mobile network operators are not deploying these technologies as aggressively as uh, originally intended. So we, we look at them and say it's very critical for the industry. It is very important, but we have to help our customers really understand that landscape. So somebody who maybe goes and said, I want to deploy uh, a narrowband IoT device, which is you know very low power, allows you know static devices to be deployed. It's not in every country. You know, it's 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 not. So if they have a true global requirement, they have to think about different technologies. Looking at an eSIM perspective is very important for us as well. This really simplifies manufacturing. So eSIM is a technology within the connectivity space that allows you to uh, remotely uh, reprovision the SIM card to from one mobile operator to another. So if you think about your uh, mobile phone, you know, you can take your SIM card, you can plug this in, and it's always going to be a Vodafone SIM. And then you can port the number to being EE, something like that later on, if you decide to change carrier. Within the IoT space, that's not really a capability that exists, being able to port in and out of operators. So the, the ability to literally re completely reprovision the SIM cards over the air from one operator to another is very valuable. It allows customers to not worry that they're always going to be on the Vodafone network and if Vodafone something goes wrong they're stuck or if Vodafone raise their costs they can't do anything about it so they can change it to being uh, a different subscriber like AT&T or Verizon or whatever they need um, within that market. So that capability is very critical for us because global manufacturing somebody wants to manufacture something in Asia you know Taiwan China 
and they want to have everything ready from the factory. They want to test it at the end of the factory line and then they go deploy it. And then if you look at supply chain management, typically you don't know where it's going to go to begin with. You know, it's going to go into a region. So it first lands, it's in Europe. You can download a profile for the SIM card that allows you to say you're a European SIM card. You know, the local connectivity, all the right region, uh, regional data regulations are met. You can then download the firmware from our device management platform. So you can start to actually say, well, now you are uh, you have the right security credentials. You're able to communicate to the cloud efficiently. So all these capabilities are, are really there to help our device customers deploy devices uh, quicker and more seamlessly. Is it um, with the eSIMs? Mm -hmm. is, that, is that as simple as it sounds? Is it sort of click of a button? Yeah. Or a bit of paperwork, but... Yeah, exactly. So the, it's the way I look at the eSIM is a technical solution to a business and regulation problem. So roaming, your traditional SIM card can roam around the world if they have these agreements. Yeah. But we're seeing operators, you know, uh, really not be happy with people roaming onto their networks. They're roaming, uh, you know, countries are putting up more restrictions on how they treat data. So roaming is, is being, uh, you know, looked at negatively in that space. So from an eSIM perspective, it does give you that capability to protect yourself a bit against that. And it really is a, a simple, you know, download the profile, the device is on, it does its thing, it changes it, it goes, you know, we've done many customers deploying in this fashion, but what we're seeing is that uh, many of the operators are still unsure if they want to enable this. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're putting up uh, some blockers and some business processes around actually truly enabling eSIM into their market so that they can still remain in control of the business that they win and they can control it in their market. <clears throat> so some of the issues are not technical ones. They're more commercials, business contracts, and actually breaking down some of the misconceptions about the technology. I imagine there's a lot of legal side of it as well especially, say, a Western provider going into Asia or vice versa? Yeah, well, that, that's something that I, I look at very heavily is the regulator space. So, you know, how you're right. If we're, uh, if you're a U.S. entity, are you allowed to sell into uh, Singapore? And how do you do that? What do you need to be from a re regulated body? What um, processes do you need to have in place to do that? And it's very much broken down like into device behavior can you can have a device that can go anywhere but if you're selling to a specific market or a specific country you have to very uh, have all your ducks in a row really on pelion again mm -hmm. your digital ecosystem who are mm -hmm. the partners that help prop it up obviously you've got arm holdings yeah. we have a large ecosystem of partners you know i think the it really does take an ecosystem to build something and deploy it and have it managed. And, you know, our, we really have a, a large ecosystem where we can connect our customers into different partners, you know, from, you know, cloud hosting providers to systems integrators, to engineering consultancies, but then to the hardware. So from silicon vendors, module vendors, board vendors, you know, literal gateway vendors and all some of the tools around that. So I think we have uh, around two, 200 plus vendors and sorry, 200 plus um, partners that we have within our ecosystem that we will allow our customers to go and speak to and introduce them to, to help fix some of their problems. And I think that's 
uh, a point of the the market where there's so many people out there trying to have their own specific point of um, value into building a device, you know, from a physical hardware layer to uh, to batteries to everything that you want to do. And then when for a customer who's looking at the whole thing, it can be quite daunting. Our ecosystem of being part of ARM previously allowed us to create a very, very um, strong relationships with a lot of these partners mm-hmm. uh, that help us drive our customers to the right success. That's awesome. We've we've kind of touched on this already, but mm-hmm. I wanted to go into a little bit of depth on how Pelion engages with um, supply chain organisations to sure. the digital transformation. Yeah, so I mean, we have the we have sort of two or three um, you know divisions in the in the business that will you know start to engage with the customers. We obviously have you know, sales, business development, partnership management, that will be very much, you know, understanding the needs of the organization. But one, we look at how we support them. We have our customer success team and they really look at the the outcomes and the goals of the supply chain organization to say, well, how do we get you to those points? So we look at saying, well, sometimes we'll help structure their go-to-market, help them understand the the value of IoT into their into their business. We'll be looking at you know internal sponsorship so that they understand they have the right executive level to to drive it within uh, for the right customers. We look at product training, product value to how they uh, implement our products and how they integrate with them so that they get the most out of them. You know, but then I think collaboration is very key as well. So you know, collaborative planning for the long term success for. Uh, our customers and partners is key. So understanding you know, their roadmaps, their needs, when they want to be doing something so that we can structure our investments uh, at the right timings to, to help them get there. And looking at visibility internally as well. So how is this customer using our technologies, ensuring that our support teams, our operational teams understand this so that they can uh, work with their respective counterparts within the organ and the customer's organization for success but and then going back is to that previous ecosystem as well so customers come to us with massive problems that we don't have the capabilities to fix but we have the 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 rolodex of people that we can introduce and bring them to and actually engaging with the wider ecosystem on behalf of the customer to bring bring them the right capabilities they need for sure for sure well, I think lastly, the, mm-hmm. the final question for ask a little bit about you personally. Okay. What are the biggest challenges facing supply chain management and supply chains as a whole in 2021? Maybe going a bit further forward as well. Okay. So I think uh, the first one is that in supply chain is almost like consumer demand is going to drive that need for improved quality, improved service, improved speed. And you have the ability to log onto our website, press a button and it arrives the next day is, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, how that is possible. And so when you look at the other models and say, well, supply chain side of it, you've got lots of different markets that are, are struggling. So um, actually a really good, really good example, and this may not sound too great from my perspective, it is buying booze online, wine, right? So at the start of lockdown, it was like, okay, you had, um, companies who are saying order your case of wine and it'll be with you within a week and then as the um the shipping from europe into the uk kind of slowed down 
You know, it was like, oh, we've got four bottles that you can choose from rather than 40. And I've seen that market change very differently. And there's, uh, they've started opening up shipping centers uh, in Europe and actually having a different mode. And they've started to increase their speed. And companies that, you know, like Virgin, Naked Wines, all these companies are starting to invest in actually having more critical supply chain management because they're aware that buyer behaviors are changing and that they, they need to react to that. So I think that demand from the consumer drives a lot of it, but the problem, one of the key issues is that profit margins are, are really under pressure because people want things cheaper. People want things uh, low cost always. And that means the profits get squeezed. And if people are thinking about, you know, investing in their supply chain, investing in how they do things, it can almost seem like, oh, wait, I've got to spend this money to get a better product or what? Do, how does it look at? So I think looking at uh, simpler things like raising fuel costs, increasing labor costs will really make it more difficult for it. But I don't know. I think that's, that's the challenges it will have. And there's an increasing volatility in the market as well, just as an output of, of, of COVID. And um, I, I think that's natural across everything, but it doesn't create one specific problem, but it creates a house of cards effect. You know, is that one person who's trying to get something done specifically in a country that has more lockdown restrictions than another? What happens to the overall supply chain because of that, you know? Well, as well, and that openness as well. The, me personally, if a consumer, if I buy something and it says it will be with you within two weeks, I don't mind, but it's not knowing what's happening within two weeks. You know, has it been shipped? Is it in transit? Is it being looked at? Is it, um, that's, that's a real frustration, but the impacts on that is, has it, has it left a country? What's happened? Is it in the, is it in transit? And if you don't know that the consumer gets frustrated and thinks, well, I get that level of visibility for free from one of the bigger players. So I may as well go to that, you know. Yeah, that lack of transparency is dangerous. Yeah, yeah exactly. Another digression, actually. Mm -hmm. So so for all the digital transformation and efficiency that we're now producing, mm -hmm. like your own, do you think we're also kind of digging a hole that we might not be able to get back out of? Because consumers, the demand is growing and they expect better, faster, whatever. Mm -hmm. But when we have issues, like this year, for example, suddenly the technology is not actually, not, not that it's not able to deal with the problem, mm -hmm. But we have these setbacks and then consumers are unhappy because of it. Because yeah, we kind of set up a false precedent of, you know, like we can do everything. Which yeah. like you say, it's crazy, but we can get something from oh, yeah. supplier to door within a day. Yeah. But it's a I problem. Think, yeah, I know what you're I know exactly what you're saying. There is a it's accelerated so fast to be able to do that. And um it's the the buyer expectation changes so fast as well. You know, I, I think uh, I look at it very similarly. I, I still look at something like Spotify and go, how can I get every song ever with a click of a button straight away? And I think that's it's the same idea is that it's completely changed how you look at music. You don't think about, you know, you don't think about the radio anymore. You don't think about literally buying a physical bit of music anymore. And I think that buyer behavior or the, the expectations of a supply chain is also at that shift because of everybody's demands. But the one thing is that the supply chain still has the human element. There is still the 
okay, there are drivers, there's literal physical pickers, there's people doing stuff, there is people managing the supply chain. And something that I've seen within COVID is actually that um, awareness of that, you know, okay, it's slow because something bad happened and this is, I understand that. There's a bit of compassion around the market because everybody's going through something new. And I, uh, yeah, it depends, it depends what happens, of course. But I, I also think that when you look at the push to try and maintain and get to that like perfect supply chain, you know, automation, robots, the huge investment that go into things like, um, you know, AI connected cars, things like this, that will drive a lot of it. And that may give good benefits to some people, but then it's going to come at a cost for other things as well. You know? sure, 100%. Thanks. I know that was a big digression. Oh, that's fine. Um, so on to you. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a leader in the field, as it were. What is your leadership style? Do you, do you have a, a specific method of man management? Yeah, I mean, you kind of, I've gone through like a lot of these uh, leadership courses where you start off and you answer 500 questions about yourself and it puts you on a graph and you sit, literally think, how did this algorithm completely understand who I am, right? And it's always this, and it's always the same to me. It always comes around the, the leadership style of sort of, transformational leadership where you're you're looking at the big picture of how to transform the business the products the teams but then setting achievable goals and empowering team members to to get there so not man management of tasks but like saying okay we need to be here in a year's point how do we get there what are the, the milestones how do we get to that point and really focusing on the bigger picture of it i think you look at the sort of you have to really look at the effect of hone the effectiveness of the team so that they can, you know, try and put some of the blinkers on to ignore some of the noise. So they can try and be effective at what they're trying to do. We have to inspire them, be a mentor, uh, develop their capabilities and um, gel them as a team as well. So I, I don't think a team is a team is a team is not a collection of individuals. It's everybody working together for that big picture. So I always try and cultivate that. Um, sort of mantra culture in my team. It takes a village. Yeah, exactly. And I think the good thing is, is I like I like um, the democratic style of if we have a lot of arguments and passionate discussions about stuff, there's actually, you know, people playing devil's advocate with an idea, things like this to actually uh, come to the outcome of the team. And we actually all decide that's where we're going and that's how we get there. Yeah, for sure. It innovates more solutions if you've got transparency and open discussion. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think we'll wrap it up on one last question. Sure. Where do you see Pelion's business going in 12 to 18 months? Are there any, any major things that are going to be happening or development? Yeah, I think, well, we just launched Pelion as a standalone brand. And uh, I'm really excited around this because... I saw Stream, the company that I built up, which had its own brand, its own presence, its own position in the market, move into ARM and it had all the benefits of ARM, like the wider company uh, reach, the the brand name of ARM was also very applicable and very uh, helped a lot of conversations with our vendors and our customers, give a great position in the market. But actually bringing it back out and being standalone, it's incredibly exciting to me and I think it, it resonates to what the market's looking for as well. So when we're looking at all of the, the product capabilities that we have, the 
position in the market, our target regions, target verticals, we're very well set up for success. You know, I think we, we already have the majority of the foundations that we, we think we need. So really it's now about driving the value with customers, taking the customers that have been uh, signing with us over the last six months and driving them to success. I think something for the IoT market is, you know, you're, the, the next 12 to 18 months worth of business will be the stuff that we have won and signed and are working on from the last six months and the next six. So always the, you're thinking about the, the, a year after you've signed the contract to where their success is. So I think driving the products to meet that short-term requirement, but then also looking at the future of that ever-changing market is quite, is, is really interesting to me. So I think company success-wise, I'm, I'm looking at just saying like our, you know, revenue turnover, you know, positioning in the market, how we're viewed viewed by the, our customers and analysts, and and actually just driving uh, driving those things. You know, sure, awesome. All right, cool. I fit one last question. Yep. Where do you think your individual role is going to be in that? Yeah. So I, as I've just taken a new role, so away from pure product management into basically Pelian uh, strategy. So. That my role is very much saying, well, what are the target markets we're looking at? What are the, the verticals that are growing uh, or predicted to grow? How do we have our products in the right place for those verticals? What are the technical innovations that we need to be building up uh, long-term and actually starting to work with the, the teams to understand that? So when you look at, you know, um, the engineering teams or product management, they're, they're very much focused on that three to six months, um, you know, pivot and help customers um, in near term. But if they're doing that without a long-term vision, they'll be maybe making architectural decisions that they're uh, for, no, for no reason that they don't understand. So actually saying, well, how are we, this is where we want to be. So when you're making decisions now, base it above, against this North Star, essentially. So you'll pivot your way to get to a North Star, but if you're always going in that direction, that's the, the best thing for the business. So um, that's what I'm I'm pushing to, to, to go for it as well. Uh, you know, I've, I've never been a career ambition guy, I've, which is strange. You know, I've never, I've never thought where I want to drive towards and where I want to go. It's, it's always been very natural about the position that the product in the market and the company and the teams are doing so um if our business is, is going to continue to be successful and our teams are engaged and believe it and, and enjoy it that's that's where i would like to be awesome well it's been an absolute pleasure yeah no thanks thanks oliver it's been it's been good to talk yeah, thank you